Welcome to Crossview Radio, a podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Okay, so last time uh, we made some progress in talking about depression. We specifically nailed down a definition and a cause. Our definition was sorrow without hope, and our cause was misplaced hope. And when we talked about the cause, we made sure to indicate that this was the what we're calling the final cause or the root cause. There are many occasions of depression, such as difficult life circumstances, the death of a loved one, uh, physical or hormonal difficulties, or whatever it may be. And the world has a tendency to label these occasions as causes, and I disagree. Yet in understanding them as occasions, we don't want to dismiss them either. We compared these occasions of depression to unpaved roads. And sometimes the road is not paved and it's very difficult for us to walk it. We can uh, seek to make the road smoother. That's not wrong. We can certainly uh, look for ways to do that. But in situations where the road cannot be made smoother, we must learn to walk on unpaved roads. Now, just a couple of things before we move on from here. I wanted to bring in a couple of quotes that uh, support this. One is uh, Paul Tripp, who says, The difficulties of life in this fallen world are the occasion of our worry, but not the cause. Uh, So he identifies a difference, like I do, between occasions and final causes. Likewise, Jim Berg says, When we take a tea bag, place it in a teacup, and fill the cup with hot water, the water activates the tea in the bag, unleashing its taste into the water around it. The hot water didn't create the taste. It merely revealed or drew out what was already in the bag. A.W. Pink says, Temptations and occasions put nothing into men. They only draw out what was in them before. And of course, Scripture says in Luke 6, 45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, in other words, whatever comes out had to be inside to begin with. And so that's kind of what we talked about a little bit last time. So uh, moving on from that, um, I want to discuss a little bit today and make a little bit more progress here and recognize that there is hope for the depressed. There is hope that one can overcome this particular difficulty. After all, we read in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I do believe that there is hope. But before we get there, I want to talk through some of the symptoms of depression. And so remember, so far we have a definition, sorrow without hope, we have a cause, misplaced hope, and now we're adding hopelessness to that as the symptom. Now we've already seen this verse, but just to read it one more time, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So to state the obvious then, depression is grief without hope. It is hopelessness. Grief is not wrong, but grief without hope is wrong. And this hopelessness usually manifests itself by distorting reality or by misrepresenting reality, by essentially lying and not telling the truth. Those who are depressed typically speculate about the truth and always assume the worst. That's not a problem with reality, by the way, but a problem with 
their perception of reality. Let me give you some uh, examples of this. In the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors have a section in the back that deals with cognitive distortions. Uh, These, of course, are coming from uh, secular psychologists. And so um, uh, this does not mean that I'm endorsing secular psychology in any way. Uh, But there are some good observations that they have here. And I'm going to read to you some of these. One of them is mind reading. Uh, And and I'm just going to read the label and then their uh, description of it. Mind reading is you assume that you know what people think without having sufficient evidence of their thoughts. He thinks I'm a loser. Fortune telling. You predict the future negatively. Things will get worse or there's danger ahead. I'll fail that exam or I won't get that job. Discounting positives. You claim the positive things you or others do are trivial. That's what wives are supposed to do, so it doesn't count when she's nice to me, or those successes were easy, so they don't matter. Negative filtering. You almost always exclusively, uh, or you um, you focus almost exclusively on the negatives and seldom notice the positives. Look at all the people who don't like me. Overgeneralizing, you perceive a global pattern of negatives on the basis of a single incident. This generally happens to me. I seem to fail at a lot of things. Dichotomous thinking, you view events or people in all or nothing terms. I get rejected by everyone. It was a complete waste of time. Shoulds, you interpret events in terms of how things should be rather than simply focusing on what is. I should do well. If I don't, I'm a failure. Blaming, you focus on the other person as the source of your negative feelings, and you refuse to take responsibility for changing yourself. She is to blame for the way I feel now, or my parents caused all my problems. What if, you keep asking a series of questions about what if something happens, and you fail to be satisfied with any of the answers. Yeah, but what if I get anxious, or what if I can't catch my breath? Uh, Emotional reasoning, you let your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. I feel depressed, therefore my marriage is not working out. So I'm not uh, endorsing uh, secular psychology by including these quotations, uh, but uh, in general, I think uh, they were some good observations. And actually, uh, more importantly, I think these uh, observations represent a shift that's taking place currently within secular psychology, and that is a a shift away from uh, medication and towards what is called CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Secular psychologists are beginning to recognize what Christians have been saying for decades, and that is the fact that what needs to be changed is my thinking in a particular situation. Their solution is CBT, which is essentially a secular version of renewing your mind. It lacks, of course, the biblical foundation to make it successful, but I do believe that it represents a shift toward truth and away from the tyranny of the pharmaceutical industry. In any event, what is being identified here is um, specifically ways that we are thinking wrong about a situation. Richard Baxter, the 17th century Puritan, said it like this. He said, Depression clouds reason so that a man's judgment is corrupted and cannot be trusted. A man who is troubled in his mind perceives things not as they are, but as his passion represents them. And thus his judgment is perverted and usually false. Too much sorrow prevents a man from disciplining his thoughts, and undisciplined thoughts are carried away by grief. It's easier to keep the leaves on a tree still in a storm than for them to keep calm thoughts. Reason has no power against the stream of their troubled thoughts. Uh, And of course, the, the highlight from that is where he says, 
Uh, they perceive things not as they are, but as their passion represents them. This really goes against the grain of modern thinking. We are usually told to affirm people's thoughts, not challenge them. Yet Baxter offers a significant corrective to the idols of our day by placing someone with distorted thinking in the category of needing and requiring correction. Affirming everyone, regardless of their values and views, has become the sacred cow of modern Western thought. This goes double for those who are perceived as being in the victim class. This would include those who wrestle with depression. We are therefore doubly forbidden from challenging the depressed person's thoughts by the ministry of truth. In any event, we see an example of this from Scripture, namely where Elijah distorts reality. In 1 Kings 19, 14, we read this. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God corrects this wrong thinking because we read in uh, same chapter, verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Likewise, Rikin says this, Spiritual depression often includes an element of self-pity. We exaggerate our troubles seeing them as bigger than they really are. We insist that the problems of life are so overwhelming that they cannot be solved. Rather than looking to God and seeing his superior strength and mighty grace, we imagine that our troubles are beyond any remedy. By making our problems seem bigger than they really are, and by making God smaller than he actually is, we convince ourselves that our situation is pitiful. This, this symptom of depression can manifest itself, of course, in many ways. According to the quotes we saw a few moments ago, we can fall into many different traps, such as the what-ifs, or uh, the emotional reasoning, or the generalizing, or the mind reading, or any number of things. The biblical answer to all of these is to think on that which is true. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And I always encourage people that I'm counseling to ask themselves this question, what is true? And I would submit that many of the problems that we face today could be eliminated by simply disciplining ourselves to stop with all the what-ifs and simply focus on that which is true. But we'll conclude today with one way in particular that people can engage in distorted thinking. Again, there's many different ways, but one of the ways that people can engage in distorted thinking uh, is uh, connected to the cross and atonement and guilt. It's very easy for guilty people to become depressed. Some people believe that if they suffer enough, they can pay for the sins of the past. Everyone, of course, knows someone like this. They all have a cross to bear in life, and they complain about it endlessly. But the moment you take that cross away from them, they fall apart. Rush Dooney makes this point in his Politics of Guilt and Pity when he observes alcoholism is another form of self-punishment, and marriage to a known alcoholic is similarly masochistic activity. When an alcoholic quits drinking, his major problem is often his wife, who is outraged at being robbed of her cross. He then says, rather insightfully, victory through defeat becomes the goal. I'm not saying that every case of depression has this as its root, but some, some cases do. Some people feel that they deserve their depression in order to atone for their guilt or their sin. It is their cross to bear, and thus they have no motivation to get rid of it. It becomes their close companion. It becomes, in some ways, a part of who they are. 
people obviously define themselves by their depression or their anger or whatever it may be. Some people may not totally be able to relate to this, but some are intimately acquainted with it. You may recall C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, where he pictured lust as a red lizard sitting on this guy's shoulder, and this angel offered to kill it, but he enjoyed having it around. There are some people who want their depression to be killed, but at the same time enjoy its company. But this is no way to deal with guilt. Rush Juni again says that guilty men are slaves. The cure is a right understanding of the atonement and a rejection of this Protestant purgatory. Some of you are aware that the famous John Bunyan was tormented by his conscience, and he details this torture in his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. But this torment stopped suddenly one day when he recognized one single biblical doctrine. I'm going to conclude today uh, by reading the section where he describes his cure and leave you with this. John Bunyan says, But one day, as I was passing in the field, and that too was some dashes on my conscience, fearing, yes, uh, lest yet all was not right, suddenly this sentence fell on my soul, Thy righteousness is in heaven. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever." Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed, I was loosed from my affliction and irons, my temptations also fled away, now went I also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God, I saw that the man Christ Jesus is our righteousness and sanctification before God. Here therefore I live for some time very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. Oh, methought Christ, Christ, there was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes." It was glorious to me to see his exaltation and the worth and prevalency of his benefits, and that because of this, now I could look from myself to him. Oh, I saw my gold was in my trunk at home, in Christ my Lord and Savior. Now Christ was all, all my wisdom, all my righteousness, all my sanctification, and all my redemption. Further, the Lord did also lead me into the mystery of union with the Son of God, that I was joined to him that I was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and was now, uh, and now was that a sweet word to me in Ephesians 5.30. By this also was my faith in him as my righteousness the more confirmed to me. For if he and I were one, then his righteousness was mine, his merits mine, his victory also mine. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. Thank you.